welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Hello, Imago. Ah, it's good to be with you all. We, um... <clears throat> One of the things that we get to celebrate, I think, both at Eastside and Central, is just how we finish the year. Um, this campus was 28,000 above projection for December. Yeah, so good. And uh, Central met its need um, as even as we go in. So yeah, they had about a $500,000 need. And collectively, we added on top of that another 70 grand for Advent Conspiracy. So thank you for, yeah, thank you for your generosity. And the thing that was beautiful about it is that there was no one huge gift, you know? It was everybody chipping in with what they could. And that's how kind of a community happens, right? Through serving together and giving together and Loving one another, that's how we make this happen. And so as we look for the next six months, hopefully we'll, we'll be in good shape as we head into the end of our fiscal year. We're starting a series today called The Cruciformed Life, which is a really weird word. It's like, are we um, comparing broccoli to the spiritual life or what, like, what's the other cruciform? Never mind. It's a really bad joke. Um, but I'm going to go with it. So what does the word cruciformed mean? The, the, the reality is that throughout the New Testament and throughout the history of the church in its best times, the authentic Christian life, and I say authentic Christian life because I'm, I'm contrasting it between sort of like stereotypical Christianity, but the authentic Christian life was shaped at, with the cross of Christ at the core of the Jesus follower's life. And the word cruciformed, it means to be arranged in, in the, the shape of a cross. Uh, and, in other words, our lives are to be shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and so cruciformed assumes that it's not just the story of Jesus and the cross, but it's actually his work that he accomplished on the cross, the event of the cross, and the person of Jesus hanging on the cross that becomes the centerpiece of history and of our lives. And so when we come to this story, this journey, this series... It's a time for us as, we, as we've spent the fall looking at what does it mean to be shaped by the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And as we enter 2020, as we start a new decade, what would it look like for a community of faith to be shaped by the cross of Christ, to be those who would respond to the love of God by laying down their life for him as he laid down his life for us? by laying down our lives for one another and for the sake of the city? What would it look like if at the end of 2020 or at the end of this decade, 
hundreds of people were shaped and could say with the Apostle Paul that, that for me to live is Christ, right? What would that mean? And so Paul, this was always sort of the center focus of his writings, the letters he wrote to Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi. They had at their center this reality that something is taking place that that before the cross, the world sort of owned us. And through the cross, we are being transformed into these resurrected, glorified sons and daughters of God. But the shape of our current existence is cruciform, right? It's arranged by the cross. And so Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. He's writing to this group of people in Philippi who had um, the challenge that they were having is that the the Judaizers, is what he calls them, were coming in. People, there, there was ethnic tensions around this, but they were also adding sort of the Jewish um, law and legality to the cross of Christ, saying that not only, yes, if Jesus died for you, Jesus rose for you, but that is enough, but you need to add these sorts of rituals to it, circumcision and things like that. And, and so he is, he is hitting that head on. So he says, for it is we who are the circumcision, in verse 3 through 14, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have, have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. I mean, he had a, a rip in bio. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it, all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen? The central action of of the Bible is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Everything is heading up to that point and everything is moving away from that point. It is the it is the thing upon the hinge point of history. 
but it's also the hinge point of our lives. And so Paul is dealing with a congregation, a community of people who have this other group of people who are coming in being very confident in their flesh, meaning that yes, Jesus died on the cross, yes, there was grace, but what you really have to have going for you is ethnic Israel, right, with all of the religious obedience intact. And so it was putting pressure on the church. You had a Gentile community who was coming in, and and it's really hard for us to relate to, like, welcome to the church, Jim. Let's get you circumcised, huh, buddy? And we're going to go to the welcome class after that. Um, but, But this, in that day, these were the tensions, religiously and ethnically. For us, it's not so much that that kind of religious performance that we wrestle with. In our day, there's, there's a number of threats to the community of faith. Uh, one of the largest ones, I think, in a city like Portland is this secular fundamentalism sort of a tyrannical relativism that says, if you believe anything that is transcendent or any deity, you you know, that is blasphemous. But you must embrace my dogma. And, And to reject it is to be guilty of the most unpardonable sin there is. There is no grace in secular fundamentalism. And in that mix is a lot of racism and nationalism and all kinds of isms that we, that that become kind of part of our confidence in the flesh, right? I want to focus on one verse today, and it's verse three. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And every time I read that no confidence in the flesh, it just thumps me. Because I realize how much confidence I put in my ideas, my, my sort of beliefs, my groups, my actions. And, and we live in a culture that really does believe that we are justified by our sort of flesh-level ideas. My politics, my ideologies, my networks, my groups, that's what I will boast in. That's what I have confidence in. And so both this Judaism and both this sort of secular fundamentalism and all the other isms really go all the way back to the lie in Genesis 3. They're not new. They take on sort of new shapes, but they still are a boasting or a confidence of your life in someone or something other than Jesus, right? Our thoughts, our beliefs, our version of morality, it's personal. And if you disagree with it, you're committing blasphemy. That is a threat to the church. What is a bigger threat to the church is probably a militant consumerism. Because honestly, who wants to gain Christ when you can gain so much more? 
right? It's, it's not the same way where, the, where Christianity is thriving around the globe, but in the wealthiest nations, it's dying. Because who wants Jesus? Well, you could have a new Lexus, right? Or whatever. I'm not bagging on Lexus. I don't even, you know. I drive a Buick, actually, and... <laughs> The worst thing was when I got, I, I got my Buick because I thought it was like a cool little SUV crossover. And the next day I got called by the AARP thinking like I was a senior citizen. And I was like, what? Buicks are cool. And then I'm driving around. I'm like looking on the freeway. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, every Buick I see, I'm like, I'm in a new. Uh, but that's my crew. <laughs> And that crew is the right crew. <laughs> we boast in our Buick. <laughs> so the confidence, the confidence, in our language, we would say it's putting the full weight of my trust on what matters most in life to me. And that's right. In Paul's language, it means that you are confident in that thing to justify you before Jesus on the day that he evaluates you. And you see, there's a difference when it comes to this world and my friends and my peers Then that thing that I'm confident in looks pretty good. But if it's just me and Jesus and I'm supposed to be like, did I believe in you? And I'm like, check out my Buick. Like, that's not going to go, I mean, that doesn't really go over anywhere, but especially with him. And so Paul, when he talks about this, he then goes to his bio or his resume. And his resume, in terms of Judaism, was tight. Like, his bio is, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm truly of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised eighth day right? A Pharisee. That took him his whole life to become a Pharisee under Gamaliel. And then he persecuted the church. He wasn't just sort of like, yeah, I'm one of them. He was like, he killed Stephen. He was clapping. And then as to the law, faultless. Could you imagine just even having the guts to say something like that? Like on your Instagram feed? Faultless. <laughs> I'm faultless. So he, he has this bio that in that culture would have been like a very good one. And we all sort of look to th those things, our bios, our resumes, right? We don't, we don't say all I have is Jesus because that doesn't really get us anywhere. But we, but we work very hard to make sure that our bio and our resume looks right, that we have the right things to be confident in. It's, you know, when I, when I get asked to go speak somewhere, they always want a bio and a picture. And I'm like, ah, I, I hate that. And you get there and everybody's got their bios. And it just, and it's a Christian event, right? But we're all still like, yes, it's Jesus. But also, I did this, this, and this. And then you're reading the other people's bios and you're like, oh man, I should have said, I should have said that other thing that I did because I was really good. And, and it becomes this sort of, like ridiculous thing. And we pull it back from way back. Like I was, I was in Portland Monthly 
in 2007 or whatever, right? But it's still like at the top of your bio. You're like, oh, when were you in Portland Monthly? Oh, you know, just, ah, I don't know, really. Uh, actually, it was a decade ago, bro. And it's still at the top of your bio. We all put so much energy into creating our own resume identity or bio identity. And what we're doing is we're setting up these columns of gains and trying to minimize the columns of losses. So we want to be able to say, we have gained this, we have gained this, I have this degree, I have this much money, I'm part of this group. So that people, when they look at me, they see that and they go, okay, that person has it together, right? And our other list, which is our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings, our liabilities, like we want that list to be hidden. We want that list to be masked. And Paul says that something happens when we look at that list, all of our gains on this side of the world that mattered so much, and we come through this radical encounter with the cross of Christ, and we gain him by grace, all that he is, all that he has accomplished, all that he owns and is worth, he gives to us. And on the other side of that, all those gains look like Garbage, Paul says. He actually doesn't say garbage. The Greek word is skubalos, and it means shh. <laughs> right? And Paul says it twice. Just so you know, he had a salty tongue, which gives me hope. He looks at all of that and he goes, I can look at those things that I, I was so confident that I boasted in and say those things are actually nothing because now I have Christ in the gain column and all of his glory and all of his mercy and all of his salvation and the beauty of his sacrifice and the presence of his kingdom. Like that is enough to fill that for my, the rest of my life. That is your confidence. That is your boast. And these other things just start getting small and they fade away. Now, if we're being honest, none of us die very well, right? None of us, none of us die to ourselves very well. And, and the cruciform life is this boast. It's the confidence in Christ and Christ alone. It's coming to the place where wouldn't it be great if we could authentically say that I have no other confidence in this world, no other boast except standing in Christ. I've trusted him and I've grabbed hold of him by faith because he grabbed hold of me. We're not there, right? We might be here, we might be there in here, but when we leave these doors, it gets a lot harder. And, and I love the fact that in, in Paul in Philippians 3, he says, not that I have already obtained it, not that I have gotten there, but I strive, I press 
on. See, I think for a lot of us, we think of grace, and we think, well, grace means that we don't earn it, which is true. We don't. Grace is the gift of Christ freely given to us. But grace doesn't mean without effort, right? So sometimes we get into this grace, and because we realize we don't earn it, we become apathetic. And Paul understood that I'm not earning it. It's already been given to me, but I am going to press and strive and pursue to grab hold of that which I was grabbed hold of for, right? It's a very different way of thinking about it. And so for, for some of us, for all of us, we look, at, we look at our bios, we look at our resume, and we actually go, you know, if I was to fully give myself to this one who gave himself for me, man, there would be some stuff in here that I don't want to lose, right? I want to keep it in the gain column. And so what we end up doing is we, we have our bios and we go, you know, I like Jesus and I like this and I like this and I like this. And we want, to make, we want that to work, right? Because when I go out into the world, I want to matter. I want them to respect me. I want them to think I'm important and that, 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 I, that I matter here. But the problem is, is that all these things that I'm placing my confidence that are not Christ. Actually, actually, they squeeze Christ out of my gain column. Like I can't be fully satisfied by them because they will never satisfy me. And I'm not fully satisfied by Christ because I got a whole bunch of other clutter in that column. And we become miserable, apathetic Christians. For Paul... He understood that being a Christian had nothing to do with the groups you were part of or where you stood or how good you were or what church you went to. It only had one question, what are you doing with Jesus, right? Have you trusted him and do you know him? Are you faithful to this this relationship that you believe sustains you like air sustains your lungs? Are you enjoying this kind of union with Jesus that supersedes all these other relationships? For Paul, that was the centerpiece for him. And it was also the cross was the place where mentally he understood where he stood in relationship to the world around him. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right? that he understood that everything that he had, every confidence that he trusted in before the cross was transformed at the cross. That not only did Jesus die on that cross, but we died with him. And that death severed our allegiance to the world. 
We were now not of the world, but we are in Christ. And so it was important for him when he was traveling, when he was interacting, when he was just doing life to go, I need to recognize that I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world, but I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me because of Christ. Now, what is he saying there? He doesn't say that he does, you don't have to have a resume anymore. You never have to work again, right? But it means that if those things don't own you, if those things don't name you, then you find new freedoms in Christ with those things, right? It means, yes, you're still going to go to work. Sorry. And, but, and you should do great work, but you work now not as the place where you earn your confidence, but as the place where you work unto Jesus, right? You still have to deal with money, but money now is not the place that has your confidence. You don't love money, you use money, and you love Jesus, right? You still have gifts to express, but now you don't have to boast about those gifts. Like, check it out, right? But you can use those gifts to love Jesus, right? So there's these new freedoms, amen? Yeah, it's good. And, and if we're willing to, to move into this, and I wonder, what does this look like for us? If at the end of 2020, we could we could say honestly, right? Not just sort of in a, Yes, we need to say that. But if I could honestly say, right, that I, have, that I have put the full weight of my confidence on Christ. You know you're going to have to do that daily. I wish you could just get a ticket that says, you're good. Yeah, I did that a long time ago. It was awesome. And, 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 and I'll probably have to do it moment by moment, but I have... No other excuse, no other answer is going to bring satisfaction to my heart. No other boast, no other confidence is going to bring freedom to my life. I'm only going to taste that and experience it when I can say, yes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the invitation this morning is an invitation to me and it's an invitation to you. It's, it's an invitation to say, Spirit of God, would you begin to shape me into the image of the cross, right? Might, might I share in his suffering so that what Jesus loves, I would love. What Jesus hates, I would hate. Those who Jesus cares about that the world doesn't, that I all of a sudden would be interrupted by caring about them. Grace means you don't have to earn this. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world because some of us come and go, man, if God saw all of my lost columns, he would know those are real. It's big and it's bad. But the beautiful thing is that when they come through the cross, those losses get turned in to things that Christ redeems in you. And those gains get to disappear from your identity. 
There's real freedom here. So what does it mean for us to come this morning, to come to this table, and really to take Jesus up on his invitation that we would deny ourselves and pick up our cross? To, to, to come to this table and to see him hanging there on the cross, praying, Father, forgive them. Knowing that not only was he forgiving you, but he was turning the whole world upside down in that moment so that it would never be the same. What would it mean for you and I to be formed by the cross that forms him? You know, of all the ways that Jesus could have, could have decided to look for all eternity, he could have a glorified body, He's still human, but he could have determined what that humanity looked like. He could have been super jacked or whatever. And he chose for all eternity to be marked by the scars of the cross. To still carry the wounds on his wrists and his feet, the side. And I think he did that because that is the way of his life. That life comes through death that we are resurrected, that, that, that it's through suffering that we experience and enter the kingdom of God. And so the invitation this morning is to grab hold of that which Christ grabbed hold of you for. Right? To allow Him to become your confidence, to Him to become your hope, and to lay down our boasts with each other. Right? The world would be a lot better place if your Instagram feed looked like that, yeah? <laughs> Can I pray for us? Father God, Father, we come here this morning and, and before your spirit and this table, this bread and wine, God, that, that tells us every single week that, that Jesus, your cross that you suffered, the work that you accomplished, the salvation and redemption and victory and that all of that is ours. And yet we find so many other things to trust in and to put our confidence in. And we know, God, we confess this morning that those things have no power to save us, to give us hope, to give us true life. And so, Father, we want to be the community of the cross. To lay down our lives the way you have laid down yours for us. To, to bless the world and to love you. Not that we have got there yet, God. So would you, Holy Spirit, come and would you release this room today? To lift you high, Jesus. To focus on you. To let all those other things that name us to drift away and become garbage that we might have you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray into this space in the name of our crucified and resurrected King. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. 
If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.